Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor David Hall, Senior Pastor of LifePoint Church. For more information, visit our website on www.davidhall.com.au. Are you ready for the word this morning? If you have a Bible, turn with me please to the book of Luke. Uh, I, I... I've been preaching a long time now, probably 12 or what year is it? 2016. I've been preaching for 16 years and uh, preaching the word. And I have never, ever in my life preached out of this story in the word of God. I mean, I've possibly referred to it, but I have no recollection. I went through my old messages to see if I'd ever touched on it before. And to my knowledge, I've never preached out of this passage in all of the accounts, whether Matthew's account or Mark's account of this story. And I really do feel like God's spoken to my heart this morning. And so if you have a, a Bible, let's have a look at Luke chapter 18. And let's have a look at verse 18. And it says this in the New King James. Now a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, you said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who heard it said, who can be saved? Who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Can I say that again? The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Do you believe that this morning? Can I say that is really not the angle I want to preach this morning. I want to talk more about this rich young ruler, but it's a good reminder for us as the family of God and as a household of faith to remember that when we hit the end of what's possible in the natural, the impossibility of God can kick in and do things we never could have imagined for the glory of his name. And it goes on to say, no, no, that's where I'm going to stop. Verse 27. And let's pray. Father, bless the word. Lord, I pray, anoint me to preach, anoint your people to receive from heaven. Lord, I pray for a mighty anointing to fill this place. It's already here. Father, we thank you for what you did in, in during our worship and, and during our, our transitions and during communion, during the offering. And Father, I thank you that your anointing is in this place. But Father, today, let the fire of God fill this house. Let there be a receptiveness and a responsiveness to your word. Father, we thank you that we can have that which your word promised. And Lord, we look to you today in the name of Jesus Christ, and every person said together, Amen. This is a, this is a famous story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. It's important to know that each account gives us a little bit of a, a, different, a different picture. Matthew tells us that he was a young man. Luke doesn't tell us this. Matthew tells us that he was a young man. The Bible tells us here in Luke that he was rich, and it also tells us that he was a ruler. So what we put together by looking at these stories, and it's uh, titled that way in, in all of the Gospels, 
in which the story is presented, excluding John, because it's not in John, but he's referred to as the rich young ruler. Now, if you look at this man's life, he really has everything going for him. He's rich, he's young, and he has influence. He has authority at a young age. He's been blessed and favoured uh, with, with the ability to have what he wants to have, to, to do the things he wants to do, and, and, uh, and he's got all of his future ahead of him. What a, what a, what a, I guess what a space of life that he was in where really he had everything. And, and he comes to Jesus and he, and he talks to Jesus. And, and, and it, it seems as though that his natural possessions and all of the things that he owned were not bringing him satisfaction. It's amazing how often we might think the natural things and natural uh, blessings, if I only had this or if I only had that or if only this opportunity would come my way, uh, I, I would be fulfilled. Can I tell you, church, our satisfaction needs to be in Jesus. Our satisfaction needs to be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit and, and with the touch of God. And, and this morning, as we look at this subject, I, I, I really want to spend some time looking at some of his qualities that evidently he did possess. And then let's have a look at maybe where he missed it or, or maybe uh, what God had to do in his life. And, and I want to use for a subject this morning, and we'll talk about the specifics towards the end. I want to speak on lessons from the eye of a needle. Lessons from the eye of of a needle. This young man, we know that uh, if you read the Gospels, there's a few attributes, and I just want to run through these a- as a way to set up uh, this message. But he was eager. Mark 17 tells us he came running to Jesus. So these are qualities that that really seem like something good was about to take place in his life. He he was eager. We know that he was respectful. Mark 10:17 tells us he knelt. Before Jesus, he recognized, and I don't believe he recognized to the fullness, but he had an idea that this man was, was important. And even though his wealth and stature, naturally speaking, probably in the eyes of, of the natural world, meant Jesus probably socially would have bowed to him. But, but that, that being said, outside of an understanding and a revelation of his divinity, if Jesus were just a man, he would have bowed at the feet of the rich young ruler. So the rich young ruler obviously recognized there was something about Jesus that caused him to bow. And so he was respectful. He was spiritual. He had spirituality. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There was something in him that knew that there needed to be more than what he had. He was morally clean. It says here in Luke 18, verse 19, that he followed the commandments. He was religious. He followed the commandments. He followed the instructions of God. And, but, that, but the truth is being religious and being morally upright is, is actually not what gets you to heaven. How, how, what, what we do right, it's not our works that get us to heaven. It's the grace and the power of God. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But he was wealthy. The Bible's very clear about that. He was wealthy. The young man went away sad because he was very rich. He was young. He was of social rank. And evidently he had, he had good sense because he knew he needed more. And so Jesus and him have this dialogue, but Jesus still says to him, you've got everything, but you still lack one thing. And can I tell you, we, I believe as Australians, We've got to understand that we actually do live with incredible privilege. And, and, and the truth is, a lot of us may not be all that well-traveled. So we, we think because maybe we're from Modbury and not 
Springfield or Netherby. We, 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 we're, we're from the, we're from, you know, we're Povo. No, no, the, the poorest person in South Australia is in the top 8% of the world's wealthy. We have everything. We've got clean water. We've got hot water, except when my son turned the gas off two days ago and I'm screaming at my wife saying, stop using the sink. And she's like, it's not me. Anyway, long story, not important. But we've got, we've got everything. Even those that have nothing still have something. We, we, don't, we don't live below the poverty line. We're blessed. We've got, we, you know, if you're sick, I mean, we criticize our government. But can I say, regardless of your political uh, leanings, we, we are blessed with great government either way because we have free health care pretty much. We have free education. We got great roads. I mean, we, we, are, we are blessed. We are, we are favoured. We we, we've got so much going for us in this country. And I, I think sometimes we, 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 we should be grateful that we're born in Australia. I don't know why I'm getting so patriotic. Maybe if the keyboard player can come, we're going to sing Once a Jolly Swagman camped by a billabong. Do you realise we're blessed? Man, you could be living in Victoria. blessed. And I, I, I truly believe that when God's talking to a rich young ruler, he's actually talking in some ways to a person like us. We have everything. We might not quite have what the Joneses have, but in the scheme of society and, and, the, and the size and the scope of the world, we have everything. We're blessed. You know, I talked to a friend of mine this week, his private health cover costs them something like $14,000 a year. Our private health cover would be what? $2,000 a year. And we're, we're blessed. We have so much in this country. And, and I say all that to say this, that often the blessings that we have, we take for granted. And it's very easy for us to become just like this rich young ruler and almost not need or not be willing to make sacrifices necessary to serve God because we have, we have everything. And you know the statement Jesus makes, he says it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. I'd love to show you something on the screen here this morning. The eye of the needle was not actually the whole in, in, a, in, a, in a stitching needle, in a, in, a, in a sewing needle. This was what they meant by the eye of a needle. In the nighttime in a, in, in a walled town or city, they would make it so secure that for somebody to enter the city at night when they can't quite make out who it is or what their intentions are or what they want to do, they would say, you could come in, you can bring your camel, you can do the whole thing. But we're only leaving a little opening so that everything that is on your camel, everything that you've got, uh, that you're carrying, you actually have to take off, which gives an opportunity for bad intentions to be intercepted, which brings security into the, into the town or into the city. And so the camel could fit through, but it was a squeeze. You had to go against their will maybe or pull them through or, or however it was done. And, and what God, Jesus is saying is not that if you're rich, it's impossible to get to heaven, but you've got to realize that 
you, you can have stuff. You can serve God with stuff, but stuff can't have you. And there is a, there is a difference, and whether that's convenience. And, and maybe, in, maybe for him it, it, it was one thing, and for, for us it's another, and we'll talk more about it. But the truth is, this young man was not willing to basically take the stuff off the camel that was his life in order to possess what God has. Often we'll stay outside the city gates rather than entering into all the promises of God because we'd rather hold on to what we have than trust God with what he has. And I want to tell you, that man had some riches, but if he had laid some of that down, he would have entered into the greatest wealth he had ever had. He would have walked for eternity on streets of gold. He he would have walked for eternity with Jesus. And, and you know, the truth is, is as the people of God, I guess today we've got to look at maybe what is it in our lives that, that, that might be making it hard for us to enter a narrow space. Jesus, what did he say about narrow spaces? He said, it's a wide road that leads to, a t- that leads to destruction and it's a narrow road. Straight as a gate, narrows the way that leads to eternal life. And you know, this morning, I'm not here to preach a, a message of condemnation or anything like that. But, but we see a man who had everything. We have everything. But I believe sometimes God, or not sometimes, I believe God's calling us to a greater adventure with Him, a greater walk with Him. And, and it requires sacrifice. And it's not about you physically selling everything you have. And sometimes we hear that story and think that provision and blessing is wrong. No. There's nothing wrong with provision. You read that, but in another scripture, you'll read that the Bible says God delights in the prosperity of his servant. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, it's God who gives us the power to make wealth. God does not have a problem with us prospering. God has a problem when our prosperity is controlling us rather than us being master over our stuff. Can I tell you, I have stuff, but my stuff does not own me. I own my stuff. And at the end of the day, it belongs to the Lord. If he said, David, give it, I'll give it. If he, say, if he says, keep it, I'll keep my stuff. My, my possessions, my, my relationships, everything that I have, I, I want to make sure, God, may it belong to you. May it be yours for your kingdom purpose in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. And so, and I, I love, can we keep that image up there for the message? Because I think it's just a, I think it's just a good, it's a good picture for us to look at this. Jesus says to him in verse 22, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. And so he comes to Jesus, this rich young ruler who has everything. And Jesus and him have an interaction. And I want to have a look at some lessons from, from this interaction. And maybe some of the mistakes that this rich young ruler made that we don't have to make if we look at, at the Word of God and say, God, would you reveal it to us? Would you help us? The first mistake he made, number one, if you're writing these things down, number one, he didn't realize who he was talking to. Luke 18 Verse 18, now a certain ruler asked him, this is Jesus saying, good teacher, good teacher. Was he a good teacher? Yeah, he was a good teacher. But he's a lot more than a good teacher. See, other religions acknowledge the existence of Jesus. But, but, but we've got to not just acknowledge that Jesus was. We've got to acknowledge that Jesus is. We, we can't just acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. We also need to acknowledge that He's God the Son. We have to, he, yes, He was a good prophet. Yes, He was a good teacher. But more than anything, He's a soon coming King. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, if you believe it, I think that's a good place to praise God for just a little minute. He didn't realize who He was talking to. There's laws of recognition that I think sometimes we don't recognize 
who it may be that we're standing before. And I'm not talking about in a natural sense. I'm talking about in life. Maybe maybe we're standing before an opportunity of a lifetime. Maybe God's speaking to us and, and is saying, if we, if we just do this or, or do that, or just drop something in our heart. And that very, that, that very idea that's dropped into our spirit may be something that we don't recognize as being God's will and purpose for our life. And that one moment could be simply something that unlocks destiny in our life. One little step of obedience, one little opportunity, one little thing that God could have done. And, and I want to encourage us as, as the people of God to be, be people who are sensitive enough to, to the Spirit of God that we recognize when God's at work and wants to do something in our life or in our world. Maybe God's speaking to us to reach out to somebody or apologize to somebody or, or, or go and do an act of service for somebody or, or love somebody or be generous to somebody or whatever it is that he might be saying. What we need to understand, church, is that, that sometimes those little things are, are, are those, little, you know, those little opportunities that God gives us to step into his blessing. Because if you look all through the New Testament, not every time, but so many, and I would even say the majority of times God healed or God delivered or God did something, it was on the other side of somebody's obedience to him. He turned water into wine, but what did he do first? He said, bring me some pots, fill them up with water. There was often an instruction, launch out into the deep, launch your nets into the deep. So, so, so God, was, God had a, a, a catch prepared for them, but he wanted them to do something before that to demonstrate submission to God. And he he was standing right there with an opportunity to have his life fully turned around by the power of God. You know, that young ruler, when he met Jesus, could it have been that if he had given up everything, taken up his cross, as Jesus asked him to do, is it possible that he could have gone on to be one of the named disciples? It's possible. I mean, there, there, there were people that left a lot less to be disciples of Jesus. There were people that potentially left a whole lot more. But basically, Jesus gave him what I think is the same opportunity he gave the other disciples. He, he, he expected it of Matthew. He expected it of the other disciples to just turn around and follow me. Let's, let's do this. He had it right there. I believe that God was giving him an opportunity to become one of the disciples. And we would have known his name. There'd be, there'd be churches named after him today. St. Leroy's. That was his name. Leroy, the rich young ruler, and that would have been that would have been something today that that we would have recognised. Maybe he, he could have been the thirteenth disciple. Which who wants to be the thirteenth? But anyway, mind you, Judas cleared that up for him. But you know, we we can we can we can step into conjecture on a lot of matters. But what we do know is that Jesus was right there, and he didn't recognise he didn't recognise his Messiah. He didn't recognise his King. He didn't recognize that he wasn't just a good teacher. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I think sometimes we fail to recognize what's in front of us sometimes. Sometimes I think when we come to church, we can even be familiar in church and, and, and miss out on, on what God wants to do by his spirit because we just think, oh, you know, this is a good church. It's a, it's a good, you know, it's a good pastor. It's not even about who's on the platform. It's about who's in 
the fabric of this house is Jesus. And you know, if we dare to believe God, nothing's impossible. Do you realize the same God that flung stars into the firmament, the same one that pulled Lazarus out of the tomb, the same one that said to Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. Do you realize he's in this house? And every Sunday he waits for an opportunity to come and bless. But not only on a Sunday, he's with you Monday through Saturday. He walks with you, abides with you. The same Holy Spirit that fell on Pentecost is in us. I think sometimes we fail to realize that he's with us all the time. His name, what's his name? Emmanuel, God, who is, I'm preaching myself happy this morning. I'm, I'm determined to preach you happy today as well. I, I believe right now, if we could get a revelation of who stands before us, I mean, he says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of victory in the name of Jesus? Man, I'm getting excited this morning and I've got 14 minutes and 39 seconds to go. Number two, another mistake he made and a lesson that we've got to learn from the story is he depended on himself. He had everything. He had everything. All these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? I'm moral. I mean, I keep the commandments. I'm rich. I'm young. I'm a ruler. I'm a legend. I got it, I got it all together. Do you know, I think some of us, we get like that with God. We got, we got it all together. We got, you know, we got our life in order, our house, our car, our family, our this, our that. We got it all together. But do you know something? The Bible says when we stand before God, it's not of works. Ephesians says it's, it's of grace, uh, not, not of works that any man should boast. I mean, it's, we, we, we don't stand before God and impress him with our stuff. I don't think God's all that impressed with me. I think he likes me. I think I'm his friend. And so are you. But I, I, don't, I don't believe my, my, my good works impress him. I don't think my sin impresses him either. I think what impresses him is himself in my life. And when, he, when God the Father sees Jesus in my world and sees the blood of Jesus applied to the doorposts of my heart, that brings pleasure to God because that's true Bible faith. When we're, our faith, the object of our faith is Christ and him crucified. I don't want to depend on my own works to save me. You know the problem with depending on your own works to save you? And I, I'm a grace guy, but I do believe in holiness. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, 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 don't, I don't embrace grace to a point where it's just, a license to do whatever we want. I believe we've got to live clean. I think that one of the best things that could probably happen in this church would be for people to clean up their act a little bit and, and, and live righteous and, and lay a hold of God. Because, you know, the truth is that sin separates man from God. And, and, and I, don't, I don't believe we can serve two masters. And I do believe as a church, we've got to be a people who live right and live pure. And, you know, some people have a testimony. And I remember I was friends with a guy called Johnny Lee Clary, and he went to be with the Lord. He was a bit of a crazy person. Uh, He was just everything you would expect from this description. He was the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, and he'd been on Jerry Springer and crazy person. Then he gets saved and and then starts preaching uh, about, about... tensions between black and white being broken and, and all of this. I remember hearing this story once and thinking, well, I don't really have a testimony. I mean, I colored in outside of the lines a couple of times when I was four. I bit my sister. I got saved when I was about six. I never, and the Spirit of God spoke to me and he, said, and he said, you might feel like you don't have a testimony, but you have kept your testimony. And I think sometimes we might not have the most exciting testimony. However, however, although it might not be exciting in the sense of it's got drama and intrigue and and, uh, and whatever, uh, we all still have one, one testimony, no matter what our background is. We were lost, but now we're found. We were blind. Come on, somebody. Do, does anyone have, can I encourage you? Don't just, don't just have it. Keep it. 
What a good story that we on our way to heaven and living with Jesus. And he depended on himself. I want to depend on him. Number number three. He wanted everything in exchange for nothing. You know, I I see it when young couples date. You can always tell sometimes, not every time, some people are just in love and it's, it's great. But like, one person is really into the other person way more. You know, the guy's like buying flowers. He's got like four Mexican guys outside the window serenading them with love songs. And Pastor Keith does that himself. He, he, but he, you know, he just plays the guitar himself and wears a sombrero. He looks good. But you know, you, you, have, you have people that invest everything and you can fully tell the chick's just not into it, you know? And it's almost like the, the more nice romantic things he does, it's now crossed over from romance to stalking, you know? You, you know what I'm saying? And, and, but can I, can I tell you, I encourage people, even when you're dating, you've got to gauge it. Don't throw everything into it when the other person's not returning your calls and has put out a restraining order. When they, I think when the restraining order comes... I think that's a sign that maybe she's just not that into you. But he wanted everything. He said, what must I do to have eternal life? What is the greatest gift that Jesus can give mankind is deliverance from hell. And so the greatest gift that Christ can give you was given because of the greatest price that has ever been paid. And so he's saying, basically, what can, what can you give me that's going to require you being scourged 39 times with a whip, a, a cat of nine tails whip that's going to rip your body apart? Uh, you're going to be beaten. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be crucified on a cross, nails driven through your hands and feet, a spear in your side, a crown of thorns on your head. You're going to endure that. that, that to me, that's everything. And Jesus says to him, look, I just need you to get some stuff off your camel so you can get through the eye of the needle and just show, you, show that this is serious. And so Jesus was willing to give every, everything. The rich young ruler, he wasn't willing to do that. I read this story about, uh, by, uh, by Ravi Zacharias. If ever you come across him online or YouTube or, or whatever, the guy is unbelievable. And I encourage Christians to have a listen to him because he, he, he speaks extremely well on our behalf. And, and, and uh, this is a story that I heard. It was a story about a little boy that loved collecting marbles. And, uh, and he lived next to a girl, a little girl who loved to c- collect candy or lollies. And, and so she said to him, if you give me all of your marbles... I'll give you all of my candy. And so he said, I need a night to sleep on it. Like a good man, take some time. Just like Joel Pittman. He would have needed about three months to just, anyway. If you've ever been shopping with Joel, you know that you go to the shop 17 times before a final decision is made. But that's okay. That's a story for another day. And, but it is very true. And so, and so what he did was he thought about it. But he came up with this plan. I'm going to keep a few marbles and just give her most of them. And so the next day, he comes down with his marbles and does the exchange. So he swaps most of his marbles for all of her candy. And then he goes to bed that night and he couldn't get a wink of sleep because he started to doubt, I wonder if she gave me all of her candy. <laughs> but do you know the truth is, this relationship with Jesus, can I, can I remind us, church, it is not a relationship of convenience. 
It's not just a ticket to heaven. Our whole life's got to be in this thing. I mean, we got, we, got to, we got to get back to a bit of old school laying our life down for Jesus and being obedient to his cause. And if he says, hey, serve me, take up your cross and follow me, I think the majority of us are very reluctant to take up our cross. I really do. I feel like sometimes I'm reluctant to take up the cross and I'm the pastor. That's a worry. But I'm just being honest. How, how often do we not do things in the name of Jesus because our conveniences get in the way? Even when it comes to church life, it's amazing. I've been raised, I'm in church. Every Sunday morning, I'm in church. Sometimes, in fact, in a lot of cases, they say these days, statistically, you'll have less than half of your church in any given Sunday morning service. And I understand the pressures of life and and all of those things, but I want to encourage us, maybe we're coming into a new year. Can you believe that? We're nearly in it. I, I, I want to live my life totally sold out to the cause of Christ. Number four, in this case, his opportunity had a time limit. His opportunity had a time limit. I don't want to make a hard and fast statement out of this passage because there's wriggle room in it, but generally opportunities don't last forever. And this young man stood literally at the gate of heaven for his eternity, but he still didn't seize that opportunity. The Bible says he came running, but he walked away sad. He came running to Jesus, but he walked away when he realized this this is going to cost him something. Do you know... The truth is, every day that the world rejects God, the possibility increases that they will be lost forever. The bells of eternity will ring. The clock is ticking. That's why Jesus says, today is the day of salvation. And some of us, with our relationship with God, we, you know, we just... We just put it off, put it off. We'll get serious. We'll get serious. I believe the time is now for us to say, God, it's everything. Leonard Ravenhill says the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. I think of Felix in Acts 24 when, when, when trying to present him with an opportunity to serve God. He, said, he, he says, in a more convenient season, I'll call for you. King Herod Agrippa says, almost Paul. He says to Paul in Acts 26, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Church, today, we're going to give an opportunity for people to find Jesus. Seize the opportunity today. But church, make sure we're people who are creating opportunities in the world around and about us. Because we've been given much. He says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I, I believe in you. I believe in the anointing of God on you. I believe if you take a step of faith, I don't expect you to get somebody to get on their knees and pray the sinner's prayer and lay hands and cast the demons out of them all in one go. But maybe you could just tell them you love Jesus. Or, or maybe you can tell them you're praying for or maybe you can do something, just something that God can use to bring about a seed planted in their life that we can see our friends and family born again. It's getting quiet in here this morning. But I'm still preaching truth today. And I'm not just preaching to you. I never get up here. You ask my wife. I, I say to her on a whole range of topics that, that I want to preach on. Uh, you know, am I worthy to preach this? I don't stand up here worthy. The Bible is the one that's worthy. And my job is to just deliver what the Word of God's saying. I don't stand up here like I've got it together now. You humble sheep just bleat for the glory of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I stand here going, flip. 
I'm in this with you. I got to do it too. I get weirded out sometimes when you got to tell people about Jesus. It's like, <laughs> Jesus loves you. <laughs> but you know, something doesn't mean I should chicken out. We got to get a bit of Holy Ghost boldness in our spirit. When's the last time you told somebody that Jesus Christ loves them and has a plan for their life? I, I preach all over the world and I get the honor of doing salvation altar calls and hundreds of people, thousands of people throughout the year, literally thousands and thousands of people get saved. You know, in services here, but all over the world. Can I tell you right now, I've never, ever, ever in my life stood up at the altar when people get saved and think, well, I've done my job. I've led them to Christ. I truly believe it's the person that brought them that led them to Christ. I just put the net out. And so you might go, well, you know, pastors lead people to Christ. I think sometimes you invite somebody to church and they get saved. I wouldn't take the credit, nor should you. But if the credit does belong anywhere earthly other than heaven, you know, you should rejoice in the fact that you sowed a seed and believe God and see something happen for the glory of Jesus. You know, anyway, I'm going to move on only because I just want to finish this message. Number, Number five, he lacked the willingness to put God first in his life. Can I say this? Often, it is only one thing that keeps a person from accepting Christ, or it's only one thing that keeps a person from stepping into the call of God on their life. And maybe in a room like this, I wonder what it is. I wonder if it's, you know, if you... You've stretched yourself so far that you don't have time. I don't think time to serve God like you did because I don't believe the devil makes us bad. I just believe he makes us busy. We're all just so busy. We're busy just doing our thing. Busy having brunch. Busy working on our investments. Busy doing this. Busy doing that. You know, even Jesus, over God says in Deuteronomy, he says, just remember, it's me that gives you the power to make wealth. Everything that you're striving for, just still remember that it's his power that gives you the power to lay a hold of that thing. Put God first in your life. Don't, don't allow stuff to just get in the middle of you and God. Anyway, I, I, I enjoy preaching this stuff, and I know that it makes church sit back and go, and I see people elbowing the person next to them, I think he's talking to you. <laughs> Mark eight thirty six. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? I pray that we would get God back in the space that he needs to be. Number six, he walked away from all that God had for him. Listen to this, Mark 10, 22. But he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Can I tell you, when I'm feeling depressed, I've got a nice watch. I've had it for 10 years. got the deal of a century. I'd love to tell you all about my watch. I love my watch. It's probably one of my favorite possessions. But you know, I've had some times where I go through times of sadness or challenge. I've never gone and put my watch on and gone, going to fulfill the call of God in your life, whether you've got a a Timex or a Rolex, whether you've got a Casio, 
My relationship with Jesus does. The oil of heaven does. The refreshing of the Holy Ghost does. And can I tell you, that man, he, this is what blows my mind. The Bible says he ran away. He, he, sorry, he ran to Jesus and he walked away. And he went away sorrowful for he had possessions. Look what he was offered. He was offered a savior that would save his soul. He was offered a cross that would lead to a crown. And he was offered a home in heaven. And he refused it. He refused it all. And the Bible says, he went away. My question then that I couldn't help but think when I'm studying is, where did he go? The Bible doesn't make it clear where he went, but where do you go when you've rejected Jesus? And I'm not talking about hell, but <laughs> you eventually go there. But, but, but where do you go? Where do you go in this situation? Did he go to his friends? Evidently, they didn't satisfy him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to Jesus in the first place. Did he go back to his pleasures? They weren't satisfying him. Otherwise, he never would have run to Jesus in the first place. Where did he go? Where do you go? I have no answer for that question. Because I don't know where you go when everything of God's grace and beauty gets put in front of you and you reject it. Where do you go? He might have gone home and sat in his jacuzzi. I don't know how it worked in those days. I think it was a tube system. You just had a few people blowing on the tube. (laughs) But where do you go? Where do you go? Church, can I say God's calling you up to higher things in Him. We want to run back to our convenience. Can I, can I encourage us? Let's be a church that's totally sold out for the cause of Christ. Let's be a people totally sold out. Paul would often say, for this cause, I bow my knee. What cause is causing us to bow our knee? What, what is it that's alive in us? Can I tell you, I live with a one-track mind. Build the church, see people saved, see people filled with the Spirit. That's all I care about in life. Is that, 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 that. I, I'm, I'm born for it to a point where I have to make sure I balance family, I balance workload, I balance my godly responsibilities. But I, I've lived with an obsession since God called me to see those things happen. And I'm not saying I'm perfect because sometimes we can even be obsessed with those things and it's still not the main thing because it can become a thing. Ministry can become an idol as much as anything else. But the truth is, the truth is, church, we've got to be a people that have to live with a sense of eternity. Even the rich young ruler live with a sense of eternity. What do I do to gain eternal life? Maybe if the praise team can come, we're going to worship Jesus But at the end of this message. But I want to encourage you. This is a crazy moment because look at Jesus. This is what blows my mind. Even after this man has rejected Jesus in front of all these people, he runs off. He rejects God. This amazes me. Jesus still preaches faith. He sees him run off. And he still says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. He still preached faith. You might feel like you've run or you've walked away or you've missed an opportunity. Even Jesus says, hey, it's still possible. Jesus is still declaring over this situation. It's not over. It might seem impossible with man, but God can still do it. He can still give back what maybe we've let go. And maybe you're in this place today and, 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 you, and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you have, but maybe even now, you, and I'm not trying to mix an altar call, I'll keep them separate, but maybe you are serving God, but you you feel like God's calling you on into, into things and, and, and you've just you've just not gone after it with enough, with enough get up and run. 
with enough boldness. And, and I want to encourage you. Let's be people who are all in. Let's be people who are who give it everything and say, God, I want to expand your kingdom. I want to see the kingdom of God go forward. I tell you, for, for me, I'm not perfect. I feel like this is a word for me because there's so many little conveniences that I've become accustomed to. This is stuff that becomes naturally important. We can even spiritualize those things. But I want to encourage us as a church, let's, I don't want to bring, can I say, I, I, I would hate for anyone in this room to feel like you're being condemned or you're being criticized. But if you're feeling a bit challenged, I'm good with that. It's not because I'm superior. I, I, I respond to the same challenge and say, God, would you use me? I remember standing in altar calls at youth conferences as a kid. We'd sing songs like, if you can use anything, you can use me. Send me, I'll go. And I'd get down there on my knees. Send me, I'll go. Send me, I'll go into all the world. God just says, tell somebody about Jesus. (laughs) Can I tell you, I did say to God, send me, I'll go. And he does. I can tell you, if you follow the leading of God, he'll take you all over the world. He'll take you into places never dream because with God nothing's impossible